This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, everybody. Welcome, all of you happy warriors, you eager devotees of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming, devoted to your families, your faith, your finances, your friends, knowing that you can triumph over those who both intentionally and unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism and all the many social pathologies it generates. When I promise to reveal how the world really works, It is in the hope that you will help defeat those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism, those orphans in history who possess neither Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which would almost be welcome. Those hideous hermaphrodites running our media, education, and government bureaucracies who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women, But oh, what damage they managed to inflict. Never fear. Here on the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show, we can transform timidity to triumph. We will replace diffidence with determination. And we will displace the divided counsels of doubt with the hard eyes and firm hearts of those who know where they are going and, what is more, are going to get there. We strive for success first with our families and then with our finances and our friends, after which we will be ready to take on the formidable task of saving our frighteningly fragile civilization from those who would force us to surrender our freedoms and our souls to the whims and dictates of those who consider themselves to be our superiors, our elites, our betters, our bosses, our rulers. Okay, well, we know what we've got to do. And one of the things that we have to deal with right away is uh, what is happening to women and why? Now, one of the great pieces of advice that I was given before I started my first book, the book, by the way, was called America's Real War, and um, it is uh, subtitled, perhaps in what may well be the longest subtitle in history, An Orthodox Jewish Rabbi 
insists that Judeo-Christian values are vital for our nation's survival. And uh, the book is, uh, is, is due to be released. We are working on it, actually. It needs to be re-released. The book, the book first came out uh, a number of years ago, but uh, it continues to sell, and we want to redo it because when I did it, uh, the word Islam sounded like a, a Delhi specialty. Nobody knew what it meant. Uh, nothing had happened yet. I wrote the book before 9-11. And so the book really does need an update. But I tell you all of that only to tell you that uh, as I was getting ready to put pen to paper, a good friend who is an outstanding writer, far, far better than I am, uh, said to me, he said, what are you working on? I said, the introduction. He said, don't do an introduction. Call it chapter one and just get into the book. Uh, in a speech... It's repeated wisdom, and I'm sure you've heard this from many people. When you get up to give a speech, tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said to wrap it up. Now, I do a lot of speeches. I don't always follow that format. I'm not sure that it is one of these rules that uh, is, is reliable enough to, to really be absorbed into your regular pattern. But, uh, but when it comes to books... This is a, a good piece of advice, and I've, I've held to it since over the course of writing seven or eight books since then. I've very much held to this of not doing an introduction. Just, just get on with it and say what you have to say. You don't have to tell people what it's about. Uh, the reviews will do it. The back cover will do that. But uh, here as well, I don't think I have to give you a, an introduction to some of the things we're, we're going to be talking about today. I'm just going to do it, all right? Just get right into it. And uh, so here, here is the interesting thing. I've come across this now uh, about uh, four times in the last three weeks. Somehow, and you know how it is, right? It's like what, uh, what uh, is sometimes called synchronicity. Right when things just happen by themselves, uh, Carl Jung, the distinguished psychiatrist who uh, wisely began began to see through Freud and ended his friendship with Freud eventually, uh, Carl Jung said, "You know, synchronic synchronicity, things just happen uh, in ways that could easily be written off as coincidence." But by using the word synchronicity, uh, we're more likely to stop and think about why. Well, uh, numerous times over the last three weeks, I found coming across my radar screen the fact that women are more than twice as likely as men to uh, face depression, to deal with depression. So my first thought was, okay, is there a difference between uh, young women and older women, and I'm not sure, you know, where the the, the cutoff point is, but uh, you know, say maybe maybe 50 or something like that. Uh, anyone up to 50, okay, you're a young woman, and you know what? If you're 51, I'll grandfather you in. You, you're still 52, okay, fine. Uh, but by and large, okay. So I thought to myself, all right, fine. Women tend to live a little longer than men. And uh, on average, so maybe women are alone longer than men are alone. Uh, could that be it? Well, turns out that the gap between women and men is greater with younger women. So that's not an explanation. Uh, so what does or what would account for 
this uh, strange difference. After all, we're told that uh, women and men are, are largely the same and that there shouldn't be any concerns about distinction or difference. And so, uh, not surprisingly, when I began to look into the conventionally supplied explanations for why women are so much more liable to, uh, to suffer from depression, uh, you won't be shocked to hear that uh, Psychology Today magazine, which is a total waste, um, regarded sexism, ongoing sexism, to be one of the explanations. And uh, they, another one they have is genetic predisposition. Now, look, uh, I've been told that um, genetics means absolutely nothing. Genetics doesn't even determine if you are a woman. But yet genetics determines if you're susceptible to depression. I don't know enough about that to, to know uh, right or wrong, but it seems to me to be mock-worthy, so I'll mock it. Uh, but they have enormous trouble finding an explanation. So I wanted to give you uh, what ancient Jewish wisdom uh, would have to say on why it is that women suffer more from depression. Okay. Number one, I would question whether that is in fact true. I think that uh, men have a different way of dealing with it. Uh, most of the men I can think of, you know, people I know fairly well, I think would, would rather have a tarantula laying eggs in their ears than go and see somebody about depression. So it's quite possible, in, in my take here, quite possible that men suffer from what is called depression uh, just as much as, as women do, excepting there's no way of knowing it because they don't tell anybody about it, right? And if you are a man, you probably are nodding your head here, and if you are a woman who lives with a man, you're for sure nodding your head here. Uh, so that, that, is, that is one aspect. Another aspect of it is that uh, men uh, have ways uh, of working these things out, not always productively and not always satisfactorily, but um, uh, we are slightly better equipped and, and as I say, what we do isn't necessarily always a good thing, but there are things we do and, uh, and patterns we fall into. One example is violence as a consequence of, of depression. Uh, again, it's not, it's not spoken of much in the psychiatric literature, but it, but it is nonetheless a very real thing. Uh, if you look up uh, depression in the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual of the uh, Mental Health Profession, uh, you find quite a lot of information on it, and uh, I'm a little bit skeptical, all right, I understand there is such a thing as, as clinical depression, and I, I understand uh, how it debilitates and, and the pain and so on, but I also understand at the same time that uh, there is a vast growth in the mental health industry, and that uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual's main function is uh, to create billing categories. Fine. So, don't want to go too much into that, but uh, but there is a certain amount of skepticism. Uh, so, number one, as I said, I'm not sure that that statistic is necess necessarily true, 
because I think uh, men uh, suffer the pain of, of being depressed and sad and miserable, but just deal with it in a very different way from women. Uh, but given that, uh, that it is spoken of and it's treated as a reality, uh, we'll look at a, a few other possible reasons, I think, that could be part of, of what is going on here. Um, it is um, very necessary in order to be a happy person, it is very necessary to embrace certain unchangeable things about you. And so um, me, for instance, uh, when I went through my depressed stage, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mocking people who suffer from depression. I, I know it's painful. But uh, uh, when I discovered that I was losing my hair, um, you know, it was, it was not great news, but uh, I did know this principle of ancient Jewish wisdom, that you just had to embrace what is. I knew that I was not going to um, ever be able to wear a toupee, a toupee. I just knew I couldn't do that. That was, um, that's just not being me. Uh, I could not see myself going through um, uh, Rogaine or any of the other drugs that, that apparently assist with, with this problem. I could not see myself going through a surgery uh, to put in uh, these little um, hair uh, bundles of skin get embedded in your scalp. I knew I wasn't going to do that. So once, uh, once I had rejected uh, rugs, drugs, and plugs, I had no option but to embrace it. And I'm not going to say I, I did that happily, but I, I did it in a perfectly sort of resigned sort of way. And you know what I did? I just uh, I just went for the bald look. I, I just was not going to fool myself with trying to comb hair over my uh, scalp. or uh, I, It just wasn't going to work. So I, I just basically went to the barber and I said, uh, leave the eyebrows, take everything else. And uh, away away we went. And, and that's the look I have embraced and accepted ever since then. Um, I will say, however, that I do feel a victim of racism uh, here because almost without exception, I've noticed that bald looks great on black guys. Bald looks just fine on black guys. Uh, bald on me, completely different. And uh, it's, again, I just have to accept and embrace that. Just one of those things. What, what, what can you do? Um, another aspect of what you have to just accept for who you are is uh, your physical nature, your, ma your maleness and your masculinity. Uh, for men, that is an important thing. Since masculinity is under cultural assault in America today, or should I say in parts of America today, parts of America that voted for Hillary Clinton, that would, that would be a neat and simple way of defining which parts of America uh, we're talking about, um, it, I can well understand that there may in fact be depression among men who are not allowed any longer to feel or, or be masculine. However, I think that the pressure on women is considerably worse, much worse. I think for women to be feminine today is uh, very stressful because they get looked down on. There was a time where uh, girls yearned 
to be able to put the word housewife next to the word occupation when they have to fill in a form, right? Because housewife was seen as a as a wonderful elevate. Now I realize that to many many people that term sounds antiquated and and anachronistic, and let alone uh, retarded and uh, and um, oppressive, but it is how it was. Uh, being a housewife meant building a nest, and it was a wonderful expression of femininity. Right? It was something that young guys who got married never understood. Right? To them, getting married initially meant sex. To the woman, while the, the closeness and the intimacy was obviously all part of it, um, being able to, to put up curtains in the apartment and to make the apartment hers and to get some furniture and to, to basically create a home was a thrilling expression of femininity that uh, there was an exciting and wonderful thing to do. Um, dressing in a feminine kind of a way. I, that's not only something that sends a thrill down her man's back, but uh, it's something that women enjoy doing, excepting you're not allowed to do that. When I say you're not allowed to, uh, there are cultural smirks at feminine clothes, feminine dresses. And every now and then, you know, I, as I look through some of the fashion magazines to keep up with the culture, uh, I see them talking about, oh, return to flirty frills and a turn to feminine, feminine uh, clothing. Well, yeah, uh, it crops up every now and then and, and maybe only uh, at the higher reaches of fashion. But in terms of, of what you see people dressed in, uh, women particularly, uh, for a woman to feel comfortable indulging her femininity, I think is stressful today. And if so, that would also be a factor in why women uh, feel depression at a greater rate than men. But I think there's an even bigger reason, and the bigger reason is something I'm going to tell you about just as soon as we come back. The resource, I commend your attention, and, and many of you ask, you know, we get these emails all the time, how can I support your work? Uh, well, my work is with the American Alliance of Jews and Christians, and uh, one of the ways that you can support what I do here on the podcast is simply making use of the resources that we prepare for you. And the website is rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, head over to the store, take a look at a resource called the Genesis Journeys Set. Uh, it's eight hours of information. And rather than me tell you all about it here, I'd much rather you went on my website at rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, read about it and see. Uh, I, I can almost guarantee that if you are a person who's interested in how the world really works, then uh, you'll find something there of value to you. And uh, it, th there is a special offer on that as well. It also comes with uh, four full-color 16-page study guides that fill you in and give you some of the uh, material that will last you in terms of understanding what's really going on there. I'll tell you a little bit more about it. But at any rate, for now, it's rabbidaniellappin.com. Take a look at the Genesis Journey set. And let me come back in just a moment with yet a bigger reason for women feeling uh, miserable, upset, sad, and yes, even depressed. Spilling ancient solutions for modern problems in the areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. 
This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. If you're in the market for a new mattress, casper.com slash rabbi should be the next website you visit. Casper created an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's one perfect mattress, and it's sold directly to you, eliminating the need to endure one of those commission salesman mattress stores with inflated prices. Casper is shipped for free right to your door, astonishingly delivered in a sleek, how-did-it-fit-in-there box. You just let it unfold, and there you have it, one of the most supportive sleep surfaces ever designed, hassle-free. Casper is made in America, and Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights free, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Right now, get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash rabbi. That's casper.com promo code rabbi. Terms and conditions apply. casper.com slash rabbi. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Only on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for sticking around, being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show um, as we continue. And I've got to explain, uh, in, in spite of the current conventions out there, that uh, the differences between men and women are very slight, very minor, and certainly not worth thinking about, not worth taking into account either in the workplace or socially or, for that matter, uh, even maritally. And this is the the pressure that is being brought to bear uh, to a large extent on men um, who feel that uh, somehow or another if if their masculine natures emerge, if uh, who they are comes across, it will be slapped down by the woman they're dating and little by little, men have been taught to, to repress their masculinity uh, because the expression of masculinity suggests that there is a polar opposite called femininity and that this distinction between masculinity and femininity is a key part of what the good Lord arranged for human happiness not only for human happiness, but for human creativity and productivity, which are linked to human happiness. And so in exactly the same way as, uh, you know, I might look at uh, the Oroville Dam in Northern California, uh, which uh, until it had some troubles in the winter of 2016, 2017, um, it was generating hydroelectricity, right? How does it do that? Well, because there's about 400 feet of water on one side of the dam, meaning the height, and, well, a little less than that, actually. And on the other side, the river level is far, far below. And so when water flows from the high point to a low point, um, it can create power. It can spin the turbines and create hydroelectricity. Fantastic. Really valuable. Um, Really, if the so-called environmentalists were serious about the environment, if they were really, if they really cared about that, they would be encouraging the building of uh, many, many more dams everywhere around the country because hydroelectric power is fantastic. 
it's um, it is truly it, it it's clean. It's cost. It's wonderful. It's very very cost effective. But of course, we know that environmentalists are driven by a uh, fevered eagerness to uh, damage America uh, more than anything else. And uh, on a larger scale, you'll laugh at me and you'll say this is absurd, but it is to uh, reduce the impact of Western civilization. But uh, in terms of actually caring about the environment, no, of course not. If they did, they would be the first in line pushing for the licensing of new nuclear power stations. Because uh, the only thing that's even close to hydroelectric power in its effectiveness is nuclear power. But uh, they know full well that nothing can come. The, the direction of emphasizing uh, wind and solar had a lot to do with the economic suppression during the Obama presidency. Uh, it doesn't work. It's just not cost-effective. So for the government to be pushing that area instead of coal in the short term and hydroelectric and nuclear in the long term uh, just was part of what exerted a chilling effect on the economy during those eight years. Whether that is going to change now or not, uh, we shall see. But certainly, if you care about the environment, push for hydroelectric and nuclear, obviously. Point being that uh, creativity only results from difference. All right. The reason we have uh, two little holes in an electrical outlet is because for there to be power, it's got to flow from somewhere to somewhere else. Um, the water has to go from somewhere high to somewhere low. If somebody came along and said, you know what, I'm a hydro-egalitarian. I want the water level to be the same everywhere. Uh, if they did, if they got the water level the same height on either sides of the dam wall, the turbines would slow down and stop. You've got to have it that way. And so similarly, the, some of the, the grand tension and creativity in human life flows from masculinity and femininity. And so masculinity, masculinity is culturally uh, silenced and, uh, and, and eroded, uh, partially because its existence would suggest that at the far pole there is something called femininity, and that too has been aggressively uh, suppressed and uh, and and uh, fought down. You see it in in a number of different ways. Um, you see it in uh, the language that girls now use. Once upon a time, uh, the femininity of a woman was what stopped men from using vulgar language in her presence. Right? It was a perfectly natural, perfectly normal kind of reaction where God, even boys at school would say, you know, there's, there's a girl here, you know, shut up, don't talk like that, there's girls here. Uh, people would, would say that, and, and people accepted it and acknowledged it. But that was a function of this magical aura called femininity that women and girls would radiate, and it exerted enormous power on men. And in, in that sense, I've got to think, it must have been a thrilling thing for it, it, for a woman, I think. I mean, I, I can only imagine what that feels like. But to to know that your femininity is radiating an aura that that bewitches 
any man within reach, not not in a negative kind of a way at all, but but certainly makes him want to hold a door open for you or or help you, basically to be a knight to your damsel. I mean that that's what femininity uh, stimulates in men: good thing, positive thing, and above all, uh, a source of enormous creativity. And the ability to be creative is very much linked to the uh, ability to be happy. And uh, having this in one's life is a very, very happy-making thing. So now for men, uh, the, the presence of feminine women adds to their happiness. But what happens if they can't and if they don't have it? Well, I'm sorry to say that men have other outlets. Uh, men can find an outlet in pure sexuality. Uh, It can even reach into uh, areas of pornography. There are outlets that do not produce happiness, but do produce an illusion of happiness, which for men who have no uh, woman in their lives without having a feminine woman in their lives, for many men, that's what kind of works. But for women, that doesn't really work because women and men are different. Now, you know that, of course, as well as I do. But you keep on coming across more and more examples that leap up and they want to hit me between the eyes and and say, idiot, don't you realize men and women are different? Uh, One of the most recent ones was I looked at the statistics of the increasing number of women who are freezing their eggs. Now, there are a whole lot of uh, commercial enterprises now that are making serious money freezing women's eggs. In other words, women are saying, I don't want to get married yet. I don't know if I am going to get married, but I do want to keep my options open for having children. And so uh, women reach a certain age, coming you know, to the point where uh, they are concerned, and they uh, they then arrange for eggs to be extracted. And by the way, this is no simple matter. This is a major surgical procedure. And uh, eggs are extracted and frozen and put away. And the idea is that somewhere down the road, uh, they can, when you know, when uh, under whatever circumstances the woman uh, chooses, can, those eggs can be fertilized either anonymously or by a, by a husband or whatever it is, and then she can go ahead and have those eggs. Now, uh, when this started, this was mostly uh, women in their uh, 30s and 40s were doing this. Now, however, women in their 20s are doing it. Partially, they're saying, well, my eggs are at their strongest and their healthiest at this point. I don't know about uh, this, is not my area. But uh, all I can tell you is that a lot of women are doing this. The point I'm making, of course, is that I know men don't have eggs, and I know that uh, men have this uh, God-given ability to have no limit on the uh, quantity of seed their bodies produce, unlike women who have a specific finite number of eggs. Uh, For men, it's different. However, even assuming just for a moment that there was such a thing, could you see men saying, well, you know, I'd better preserve some of my seeds so as I can always have children down the road? That would be very rare, very unusual. Not a lot of men do that or would, or would do that. Not a lot of men think of that. And so uh, whereas uh, women in their uh, 20s and 30s 
are very much aware of uh, childbearing. There's even a name for it, by the way, which I picked up from the women magazines, and it's called uh, Baby Hunger because they say it's as palpable and as real as starvation, where everything in your body yearns painfully for a baby. Now, I'll tell you something, ladies. No matter what your husband might tell you about how excited he is about having a baby, no men have baby hunger. It's just not there. Uh, we're different. That's all there is. Um, I'll tell you another difference. You all know about instances of uh, high school teachers having sex with uh, students. And it's a crime, and uh, it gets prosecuted. Now, do you think, if you just had a guess, do you think it happens more with male teachers and susceptible, comely female students? Or do you think it happens more with uh, female teachers and male students? I think you would most likely say, as, as I would, that if I didn't know anything at all, I would have to say it's more of a phenomenon with um, men teachers and, and female students. And uh, the reasons are self-evident. Uh, but when you think about it, what you hear about in the news, and when you look at the, the statistics on prosecutions, you'll find many more cases that are bizarre of uh, adult female teachers, some of whom are married, having relationships with male students. So the answer is that it actually happens both ways, and uh, if anything, it's estimated that it happens more frequently with male teachers and female students. So why don't we hear about it? What's going on? Difference between men and women. Any 16-year-old boy, or for that matter, 15 or 17, whatever it is, who has had sex with a hot teacher talks about it. He w and it gets discovered, and the prosecution takes place. But for the most part, girls who have an affair with a male teacher don't talk about it. In many cases, they're embarrassed about it. They don't talk, therefore it doesn't get heard about as often, it doesn't get prosecuted as often, and when they do find out about it, the girls very often don't want to press charges. They just they don't want to, they don't want anybody to know about what happened. It's a difference between men and women. Uh, when they, they, there's a, a phrase that is now quite well known on the university campus in the wake of what's known as the hookup culture, it's called the walk of shame. What's the walk of shame? It is when a girl uh, goes out with a, a guy uh, on Saturday night and the evening doesn't end and she stays the night and then she has to walk back to her dorm in, on Sunday morning in the same clothes that she went out on Saturday night. And the girls call it the walk of shame. Right? They're embarrassed about it. Can you see any man... Any guy student saying, oh, I don't want to be seen. I've just had sex with my girlfriend. I don't want anyone to know. It's absurd, right? doesn't work that way. Uh, fundamental differences between men and women. And I want to give you one more because it's perhaps the most important of all uh, in terms of practical understanding of how the world really works. And, uh, and that one is the okay, – you know the Cinderella story, right? Everyone knows the Cinderella story. There is a parallel story called The Princess and the Peasant, excepting the roles are flipped. And uh, I want to tell you about that coming right up. 
The website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Love you to visit there. And uh, first of all, you can acquire the Genesis Journeys set. And, and by the way, this is something you, you can acquire with, uh, along with other people. I have no objection to you sharing it, obviously. I just want people to have it, and I want to get the information out there. Uh, the more people, look, I, I, I'm not flattering myself when I say the more people that have a finger on ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, the better society I'll be living in. Uh, I'm not flattering myself because it's not, it's not called ancient Lapin wisdom, it's ancient Jewish wisdom. I just happen to have been privileged uh, to, to be one link in the chain of transmission, that's all. So uh, making it available is, is truly terribly important to me, and you are a part of that. Just by listening to the show, you are a part of that. You're also a part of that if you get a copy of, uh, it's actually four programs, there's four parts to the uh, Genesis Journey set. One of them is called Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of uh, of uh, Babel, and this is um, a, a, a teaching on the nature of communism, what it really is, where it comes from, and where it's going. Another one is called The Clash of Destiny, uh, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam, understanding why it is that they fight in the Middle East, what that's all about. And uh, there are two others I'll tell you about as well. All of that at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Also is the opportunity to ask a question. There's an Ask the Rabbi feature there and also reading the answers that we've given to previous people, which is also very, very interesting. And uh, you've also got uh, contact us. You can just send us an email and uh, be in touch. Uh, if you're interested in having me speak at your organization or your church, and I speak for trade organizations. I'm, I'm speaking for a, a, a car industry group soon. I speak for churches. I even speak for synagogues, obviously. Uh, all of that and uh, easily done at our website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Please visit. I'd appreciate that. Back with you in just a moment. More to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show. And we're, uh, you know, creating our own, you know, our own Mumu look. And look, they're not, they're not just for women. So don't think that this is all just a, a female thing. Because as a, as an overweight male, plenty of times you just want to wear a Mumu. I mean, there's no question. You just want to get home, get out of the fat guy pants, throw on the Mumu, and relax. The Jeff Fisher Show, Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Blaze Radio Network On Demand with Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Hello, everybody, and we're back with the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thank you so much for being part of the show and uh, joining in in the sense that uh, I love hearing from you. Now, uh, a lot, well, a lot, a number of people... Uh, listen on SoundCloud, and there on SoundCloud, uh, comments can be made, and I always respond to those. Alternatively, uh, we love hearing from you on the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Both Susan and myself enjoy very much receiving your uh, letters, and it's very easy to send us a letter at uh, the rabbidaniellappin.com. So do visit there and uh, stay in touch that way. Also, Make sure you are on our mailing list because that way uh, we're able to let you know of any change in schedules on podcasts, let you know 
where I'm appearing, if I'm going to be in your town or, or, or whatever else is going on, uh, all of that we're able to uh, stay in touch by um, sending you an occasional email, depending what you want to want, what you want to receive. Okay. Uh, so I said that uh, in understanding the differences between men and women, the Cinderella story was of interest. Now, uh, the the two stories are Cinderella, where this. Uh, a peasant girl, this this girl who, you know, originally from a nice family, but she had wicked stepsisters and et cetera, et cetera. You all know the story. And uh, the end result is her innate beauty and uh, goodness attracted the prince, and she lived happily ever after. Uh, then there is another story. This one is called The Princess and the Peasant. And I think there's some variations on this. So... Uh, uh, have patience with me if I butcher the story in the version you are familiar with. But the one I'm familiar with, and they're all much of a muchness, but the one I know of is uh, the princess who uh, didn't, uh, she wasn't, she wasn't uh, having a very good time with her parents in the castle. She felt she felt uh, stifled in the castle, and she felt her father, the king, didn't understand her, much much like any uh, teenage girl, right? And uh, she eventually goes for a walk out in the countryside, and she spots this handsome young peasant working in the field, and yes, they fall in love, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. Uh, there's another variation, which is she gets lost in the woods, and uh, and the peasant finds her, and he's a pretty rough sort of guy, but basically good-hearted and kind, and he, he helps her uh, get something. He, he feeds her and keeps her warm, and uh, little by little, he uh, falls in love with her, and she with him, and they get married, and he, now we have this princess, one-time princess, uh, keeping house in a small peasant's uh, small peasant's house in the forest, far away from anywhere. By uh, those are the two uh, stories, basically. Now, um, when I used to teach physics, one of my favorite questions uh, to put to uh, first-year physics students was the following: I said that um, I would like for you to read the book Gulliver's Travels, and if you don't have time to read the whole book read about his travels in two particular places. Uh, one place was the Lilliput, where he found himself a giant compared to the locals, and another place where he found himself teensy compared to the local giants. And, um, and uh, Swift's novel was trying to make various, uh, various points. Uh, I think it was as much a political polemic as an adventure story. But uh, my question that I would ask my physics students was, assuming only one of those stories is true, which one is true? Which one is definitely false? How can you possibly know, right? Well, the clue is that uh, I'm, I'm telling it to physics students. And uh, if you have to uh, guess between two stories, one is a story of huge people, Beings, and another one is a story about teensy weensy little people, uh, which is uh, which is more likely. Well, 
the answer is that uh, giants don't exist for the same reason that there are not a lot of creatures the size of elephants. Because size, as you go up in size, it is a disadvantage in life, not an advantage. Why is that? Because your weight goes up much more quickly than the strength of your bones and your muscles. For those of you who are uh, interested in the uh, mathematics of it, it's the difference between the cube and the square. But uh, for the rest of us, it's quite enough to say that you reach a point where the weight crushes the muscles and the bones. It, it just can't work. But when you go down small, the opposite happens. The relative strength increases. And that's why you have enormously strong teensy-weensy insects, right? There are beetles. There are uh, even ants, which do feats of strength that, uh, that you know, are, are, are beyond anything a person could do size for size. And so sometimes by analyzing a situation, you can tell whether a story is, is realistic or not. Um, so it is with the story of Cinderella and the story of the uh, peasant and the princess. Using the principles of ancient Jewish wisdom rather than the principles of physics, it's quite easy to tell which one is more likely. And the explanation, of course, is that men and women are quite different and that uh, men are, um, will, will be very drawn to women in a, in a lower situation. I'm not talking about low class or badly behaved. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that for a woman to come from a, uh, a, a, a non-wealthy environment is not necessarily an impediment for her to marry a prince. Uh, the other way around, well, that is problematic because most women want to be with a man who is bigger than them, smarter than them, and richer than them, than they are. That's a reality. Most women would rather be with somebody who has more money than them. Now, for men, it doesn't matter. On the contrary, for a man to marry a woman who has more money than him is not only something that deep down is not what the woman wants, but deep down it's not even what the man wants because bringing home the bacon is part of masculinity. Feeling needed on that level is a huge boost for men. And that's why it is that men's sexual identity is so strongly tied in to their ability to make money. The reverse is simply not true. Uh, when if, if a woman loses her job, her femininity does not take a hit in any way at all. Many women report exactly the opposite. The vulnerability increases, and many women experience this, tell me about it, and can't explain it. They're asking me what's going on. They suddenly find that their social life improves when they lost their job or they stopped working or whatever it was? Sure, because now the man you were with felt needed. He felt useful. Big difference. Uh, tragically, we've had ample opportunity to study the effect on men who lose their jobs. There was the logging industry in the Northwest that got killed by a frantic and bogus panic about the spotted owl. Um, there are uh, 
some of the mill towns of the Northeast. Uh, they've been the, uh, the Rust Belt in the Midwest. Unfortunately, there have been many, many instances where uh, doctors have been able to research what happens to men who lose their jobs. And, and tragically, and again, I think any guy knows about that link. Deep down, uh, there, there is very much a feeling of losing a job and feeling less of a man. There are even, even situations I've spoken to men who retire and suddenly feel they're not pulling in the money they were and they, they feel they've taken a blow to their masculinity. And it's not good enough to say, oh, don't be silly, because it isn't silly at all. It is part of what a man is and who a man is. And so the Cinderella story gets played out over and over and over again all the time. It's, um, you know, it's, it's the first-class traveler marrying a flight attendant he met on a flight. Uh, when, when do you ever hear of a female business executive asking the male flight attendant for a date? It's laughable because you know it wouldn't happen. It's impossible. But it does happen the other way around. The Cinderella story works all the time, all the time. And I've, I've said in the past that uh, I, I, I fully recognize the danger inherent in um, uh, romantic relationships in the workplace. I really see it, and I sympathize with companies who, who try and prohibit it or, uh, or, or set up various uh, structures within human resources to control it. And I understand because of the perils and the business risks involved. Um, at the same time, I feel unhappy about it from the point of view of women because a job in business for women was very often – a step to a good marriage because look at it you're spending eight of your best hours a day at work and um, what happens you you know you go home it's the end of the day you're tired and you're now supposed to build your social life in the hours you've got left you know before before it's time to go to sleep so to rule out the possibility of a romance in the workplace I think is uh, a blow to women and um, but I understand it. I, I do. I do see the peril. I just I feel it's uh, it's a shame that um, that that women are not able to or men for that matter to to find a, a life mate among the people you know so well through spending day after day after day with them at work. I've also been following a conversation between women that I'm finding very interesting. This is among high achieving women high-earning women, and uh, they're complaining a lot lately. And again, this is uh, just over the last few months, I've come across this a great deal. It, it flows over my, uh, uh, my radar screen. When I say my radar screen, I'm very fortunate because I have a big network of correspondents, long-time friends, who know exactly what interests me, and they send me stuff. And nine, 99 times out of 100... Uh, it's stuff I, I want to tell you about. It's useful. It's, it's really important uh, socio-cultural information. And, and one of them that I came across lately was, was, was in fact sent to me. It was women complaining that um, they, they date men, high-earning men at work, and they do. Uh, they meet people, 
sometimes it's not at their own place of work, but what they complain about is that these men then marry somebody lower than them, and they get very indignant, and they start getting very sarcastic and very insulting towards the men. Oh, they're frightened, they're threatened by strong women. Uh, and I've covered this before. I've spoken about this in a podcast uh, some months ago. Uh, but no, it's, ladies, we're not threatened. I promise you we're not intimidated by strong women. It really isn't that at all. Uh, we, we love strong women. We, many of us are married to strong women. Um, but what we don't like are strong women who have no femininity left in them, um, strong women who feel that they have to be men. And uh, you're right. We, we don't care for that very much. I wouldn't say intimidated. I wouldn't say threatened by it, but we don't care for that much. And these women are complaining and grumbling that, um, that after they date these guys, they then a little while goes by, they hear the guys got engaged. And to whom? And it's in the words of one of them, um, it's to some little trollop who brings him his coffee at the office. Well, guess what? Being given food by a woman is enormously, shall I say, sexual. It's very real. It's a strong thing. It's one of the reasons that uh, while uh, women make a great deal of noise about equality and, uh, and women can do whatever men can do, uh, the fact remains that women are very harsh on men who uh, accept their offer to split the bill. Women are very harsh on that. So uh, uh, the you know, women say, oh, they, they, offer, they offer to share the cost, especially on a first date. They offer to share the dinner. But uh, men, uh, men who take them up on that offer are through. They, they don't want to know about it. Well, it's what I said before. Women prefer to marry men who can financially take care of them, even if they love working and they plan on working. They love the idea. And it's, by the way, totally legitimate. I've got no problem with that at all. But uh, what um, uh, turns out to be a little bit is that uh, regardless of who's paying, let us say that the, uh, the meal uh, finishes off with coffee, and the way it's done is not two cups of coffee, but a pot of coffee is brought with two cups, and there's a little jug of creamer and sugar. In, in some nice restaurants, that's how they do it. If, uh, if there are a few people or two people dining, they don't just bring the coffee, they bring a pot. In that case, who pours? And I think you will not be shocked, you've probably experienced it yourself, that in the overwhelming majority of cases, um, it's the woman who pours the cups, uh, not the man. Why? Because we love eating and drinking food that a woman we're interested in makes for us. Right? That's just a real thing. Um, all of which is to say that the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 mascul the masculinity and femininity thing is a big deal. And so uh, for, as I've said before, a man who doesn't have a feminine woman in his life there's no question about it that it is a, uh, a problem. It detracts from his happiness. But men do have various ways of somewhat coping. Um, women, however, are stuck. A woman who doesn't have a good man in her life, 
and uh, and I, I I stress, you know, we, we always use the word good man, and, and that I take almost for granted, right? Good man, I, I take it as a gra- as a given, but she wants something else. Women need a masculine man in their lives, and it's very difficult because nobody's teaching men to be masculine anymore, don't forget. And it's an, a source of great frustration, particularly to young women, because uh, their choice out there is thugs and wimps. And they don't want a thug, but they don't want a wimp. What happened to a good but strong masculine man? Um, that is a source of great happiness for women, just as a, as a very feminine woman is a source of great happiness for a man. And uh, for women, the damage that has been inflicted on the culture by uh, by uh, diminishing ma- uh, diminishing masculinity and and the availability of good strong masculine men, neither thugs nor wimps, uh, that is a very big problem. And so, again, in exploring women's depression, uh, I would have to say that this is part of it. And what's worse is that when women try and solve the problem in a masculine kind of a way, which many women do today, uh, it's not just the uh, vulgar language that women use, but it's also the, the casual approach to sex that women have been encouraged to adopt, and it's, it's destroying the university campus. Uh, the result, however, for women is added depression. For men, it's an illusion of happiness. It's another conquest. They feel good about it. it. It's almost like a drug. For women, it's a source of great depression. And uh, those of you who are interested can even study the whole uh, rape phenomenon on the campus where uh, it's well accepted today that the lines of distinction between rape and regret have been blurred to say the least and that women who deeply and profoundly regret an encounter uh, retroactively turn it into rape and thereby very often destroy the life the career and the life of a man in so doing but the campus structure encouraged by the Obama administration uh, had to set up extremely aggressive procedures to deal with that kind of a thing again more evidence for women being depressed by the dearth of good, strong, masculine men. Uh, Where you will find information on feminine women and masculine men is in understanding Adam and Eve. And that's why I speak about the palindromic phrase that Adam used when he first met Eve, and he said, Madam, I'm Adam. And that actually is the title of one of the four programs in the um, Genesis uh, Journeys set. And uh, if you go to my website, rabbidaniellappin.com, you'll find information on it right there, and you'll be able to take a look, and I hope uh, enjoy it as well. It's called the Genesis Journey set. It's at rabbidaniellappin.com. And while you're at rabbidaniellappin.com, please uh, go ahead and write to us, uh, subscribe to Thought Tools, Make sure you're on our mailing list and stay in touch. Connectivity is the secret to happiness. Back with you in just a moment. More to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. 
Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Only on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. And uh, here we are back together. Thank you for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show as we explore uh, why society has been crueler on women. Somehow, the the kind of society we have evolved in the United States of America um, has been rougher on women than on men in in certain areas, and particularly the area of uh, depression, sadness, being miserable. Uh, It does seem to be a problem that afflicts women more than men. And uh, I'd like to uh, come up with one more ancient Jewish wisdom uh, clue as to what what might lie behind this phenomenon. And, And that is the following. Um, secrets of happiness, right? What what makes us happy? Well, I spoke earlier about embracing our uh, realities as men or as women, right? Obviously, uh, the whole transgender movement has resulted in some very unhappy people, right? Because instead of helping people adapt to who they are, we are encouraging this notion that they should be unhappy with who they are, male or female, and that they should then mutilate themselves in order to bring about the desired change. Okay, fine. Uh, the desire, oh, and, and by the way, uh, suicide rates among transgendered people, not good. Uh, and it's not because of society, right? Don't don't buy into that uh, travesty. You hear it all the time. Oh, the reason transgender people... Um, are so sad and so depressed is because of the way they're treated by society. Look, they're treated with kid gloves by society. Uh, I'd say the, uh, the the treatment they get is unparalleled. So it's it's certainly nothing to do with, with, with the level of treatment. Uh, but that is a perfect example of unhappiness coming from rejecting who the unchangeable aspect of who you are. Uh, but there's another part, another great secret to happiness. Um, it is creativity through self-control. Now, what I mean by this is that the act of creativity is the act of sublimating our baser instincts to bring into existence something of greater value. It can be building a business. It can it can be uh, uh, bringing a child into the world and raising a child. It's certainly the ultimate act of creativity. It it can be uh, building a home. It can be uh, all kinds of things. It can even be uh, creating a genuine work of art. Uh, creativity produces enormous happiness in the human being. However, it's a secondary step because. In order to genuinely create, you actually have to sublimate the self. You have to stop doing what you feel like doing, and you have to do what your soul is calling you to do. 
and in the um, you know in the case of building a business, it's really a lot easier to go on welfare than it is to build a business. But one has to throw oneself into it and uh, and and make it uh, a hard driving push that takes incredible effort and causes pain. Let's face it; there's no question about it. All acts of creativity are like that. In the art world, by the way, I did put in the caveat of genuine art because most of what passes for art today, certainly the stuff that is funded by the National Endowment of the Arts uh, and a lot of other stuff, is nothing but the maudlin outpourings of diseased egos. I don't, I don't accept this stuff as art in any way whatsoever. It isn't. It's, as I say, uh, maudlin outpourings of diseased egos is what I think of it as. So uh, the, the secret, however, to all of this is uh, self-control, to overcome the, the lower natures of ourselves. Now, at its most basic, uh, a tremendous satisfaction, a tremendous sense of joy, deep joy and happiness comes from overcoming one's nature. Uh, people who go on a diet and keep to it and are losing weight regularly – are not only feeling healthier, but they're also feeling happier. Right? Everybody knows that. Because conquering your nature, overcoming your nature, brings deep happiness. You follow what I'm saying? It's really important. Um, somebody who starts working out, let's say uh, she's a runner, and she starts running regularly, and she gets the runner's high, uh, it's happy-making because of the pain involved because of the overcoming everything that is natural in us. That's where deep inner joy comes from. And so this is one of the reasons that um, the whole question, you know, in, in terms of uh, American tradition, pursuit of happiness, um, everybody knows that there is nothing as elusive as happiness when you try and pursue it directly. Deep, real happiness, um, soul-searing joy, so profound and powerful that it becomes palpable. Uh, that kind of deep happiness comes from overcoming what uh, what we think of, certainly in ancient Jewish wisdom, this whole discussion is uh, comes under the topic of overcoming one's evil inclination. You know, what's one's evil inclination? Everything that works towards stopping you from making progress. The evil inclination that tells you what you should do rather than sitting down to write your great novel. What you should do rather than getting up and, and baking a cake. What you should do rather than going to work. What you should do rather than getting married and raising a family. All of those things pulling you in the wrong direction, pulling you towards a more destructive life and away from the things that are creative, uh, that is the, the uh, what's called the evil inclination. You can call it whatever you like. But overcoming that produces this deep, surging happiness you feel right there in your heart. You know it's real. Now, uh, for boys, there's quite a lot of that early on. Boys are, I mean, one of the most uh, powerful evil inclinations in boys is for violence, right? Pushing things, beating things, kicking things, killing things, I mean, breaking things. That, that's what we 
have deeply within us. It's, it's an instinct implanted in us. And from the youngest age, we're, we're saying to the boy, no, do not hit your sister. You may not hit your sister, whatever it is. Uh, we are bringing that under control. In so doing, we are giving our children, our boy children, uh, the opportunity to, to feel this inner happiness because overcoming it is a source of real happiness. Another area for men to overcome is sexuality. Right now, needless to say, uh, it doesn't mean I'm not talking about annihilating these instincts, right? Uh, if a man has to defend himself, he certainly does need his uh, instinct to, to inflict violence lively and healthy. If, he, uh, if he's in the military or in, in any of the armed services or, or law, yeah, he's got to be able to uh, deal with the flow of adrenaline and, uh, and, and use violence for purposes that are appropriate. In the same way, uh, men's instinct is to have sex with as many women as possible in as uncaring a way as possible. And, and sure enough, uh, we're talking of, of female unhappiness and depression, hello, yes, <laughs> what's the surprise? But um, again, what responsible parents do is raise boys with a uh, not suppressing, not annihilating the, the sexual drive in any way whatsoever, but uh, helping direct it into marriage. And a, a sexually vibrant, vital, uh, stimulating man is, is a delight in the life of any woman. So certainly not suppressing it or, or, or uh, d d damaging in any way at all, but very definitely uh, directing it in, in its most productive way. So from their youngest age, boys have this uh, tendency to, um, to exert control over their evil inclinations, if you like. Uh, they know it should be done. And every time they do it, they feel better for it. Every time they do it, there's a tiny little jolt of happiness that strikes in. All right? It's uh, on the school playground. You know, the boy who, who um, resists the temptation to punch out the guy who's uh, annoying him walks away, and on the surface of it, there's a feeling as I hope no one thinks I'm scared of him, but deeper down, there is a feeling of I kept my control. I didn't lose my temper. Source of big happiness, and, and in fact, men, men who have lost their temper feel embarrassed about it afterwards, right? Any time we lose our temper, we, we don't feel good about it because it was the opposite of maintaining control and self-discipline. These are sources of great delight uh, to the men. Now, what is the equivalent for women? What is the, uh, what might you say is the evil inclination? What is built into women that would be great if they would also exert control over and have that sense of, of discipline and structure? And uh, the answer is a tendency to be totally shaped by their emotions. Now, again, nobody's suggesting, least of all me, that uh, women should not have emotions or not be emotional. No, of course not. Nothing like that at all. Simply the, no the idea that uh, to make your decisions on the basis of how you feel makes you miserable. That is yielding instead of controlling. And... Uh, for a variety of reasons, whatever they are, uh, women have been conditioned over the last 30 years 
to believe that their feelings are paramount, that everybody wants to know what you're feeling, that everybody cares about it, that it's crucially important. And uh, the answer is that isn't really how it is. That's why you have sisters. That's why you have female friends, not male friends, female friends. And, yes, that's why you have a husband. Those are the only people who care about how you feel, and even they, within measure and within limitations. But uh, I think the culture has told women that there are no limits to the importance of your feelings, and that is an absolute reliable recipe for misery. And so I think that that has a lot to do with what really is going on here. So uh, what is the antidote to d depression? What's the cure for unhappiness? And again, I'm not, I'm not talking about a clinical level depression for which a treatment is, is uh, certainly recommended. But the, the low-level depression that, again, any, any person feels at different times, well, what, are, what are the secrets? How, how do we deal with them? Well, think about this. If a person has a great marriage and no money worries, wouldn't you say that that person has no excuse not to be happy? And somebody might say, well, what about health? And the answer is yes, health is obviously a tremendously important one. And the reason I don't include it, though, is that uh, soul... I, I have to tell you, holistic health is 2,000 years old. Ancient Jewish wisdom knows all about holistic health. I remember hearing about it for the first time in the culture in the 80s. And uh, I was a rabbi in California at the time, and people started telling me about holistic health. So uh, I gave a few lectures on ancient Jewish wisdom and the Bible's view of holistic health. Blew their minds. They were absolutely blown away because they thought they'd invented it. But this idea that... Uh, that our physical health is very much a function of, of how we, again, obviously there are, are things happen, things happen. Uh, but in general, physical health can be enormously helped by a state of mind, nothing more important than a state of happiness. And so uh, that's why I speak about the main, uh, the main things that produce happiness, a great marriage, and no money worries. And everything else falls into place. See, so obviously uh, the the two things that geeks do not teach young people, the two things that government indoctrination centers do not teach children, while they have them as a captive audience from the ages of five to seventeen, the two things they teach them nothing about are marriage and money. Right? That's <laughs> so obviously. Obviously, happiness is an enormous problem, clearly. Uh, what are we supposed to do? Well, uh, first of all, I, I'm a very uh, big proponent of um, making sure that uh, if you're a man, that your masculinity is intact, that if you're a man, that you are comfortable with masculinity and, and you are who you are. Not that you are comfortable with your level of masculinity, because you've got to look and see whether or not social forces have not uh, indoctrinated you into suppressing some of your masculinity. Right? It's, it's a big topic to talk about, big topic to think about it, far, far beyond what we can cover in uh, the few minutes left remaining to us in today's show. But uh, we will continue on this topic in, in future shows and delve more deeply into it uh, for a woman. Uh, rediscover your femininity. 
discover the joy in surrender to a man, N not just physically, but emotionally, in, in every way. Uh, all of these things the culture has been trying to drum out of us over the, uh, the last few decades, and, it, um, and, and it's terribly important. It's, it, we, we've got to make sure that the young people whom we have the ability to influence have an awareness of, of what the damage is that has been inflicted so they can at least be aware of it, so they can try to counteract it. It's a problem. There is no question about it. And uh, we are, unfortunately, at the point where it is time to say goodbye, reluctantly and sadly, but I will be back with you again next week here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Until that time, please stay in touch at my website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, support the work we do. Make sure there's stuff there that you can enjoy and use. Uh, currently, right now, I direct your attention to the Genesis Journeys set. Uh, I think you will be astonished. Now, some of you may have, say, shall we say, two of the products in the Genesis Journey set, but not the other two. It actually will still pay you to just get the set uh, instead of the other two and give away the extra two that you don't have. Each one stands alone. Each of the four units in the Genesis Journey set does stand alone and, and makes a phenomenal gift. People are truly grateful for it. So um, until next week, everybody, this is your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, wishing you a week of good health and prosperity. God bless. The Blaze On Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin.